welcome to Diminishing Returns. Sol, uh, just to quickly introduce you. Sol, hello. Hello. Uh, and, and Alan here. Uh, we, this week, are doing <laughs> something a little bit different, Sol. Um, yeah. Because we put out a little uh, thing on our Patreon that uh, the supporters could uh, pitch to us their idea for a, a film we could do for the show. Yeah, we've done this before where we we throw up some options to Patreon and let everyone vote for what they want to hear. But we, we sort of thought we'd try the inverse this time around. Let everyone throw the options up to us and then we'd pick among ourselves which one we like best. And I, yeah. I, I think we were looking at specifically what would make a... A, a good episode because you know a lot of people um you know came back with some great ideas but it was kind of like oh that's your favorite film alan or that's your you know second favorite film and we're probably going to get to that at some point anyway yeah uh so what we've gone with uh is is one that will hopefully generate good interesting discussion yeah it was the one that made us go oh that's interesting i wouldn't have thought of that so I guess that's why we picked it. Uh, and yes, yeah, just in case you haven't read the title of the episode, it is Hamlet, specifically Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, uh, made in 1996. Uh, Hamlet, of course, the Shakespeare play that has been adapted to film many times. Um, so, uh, Sol, who was the person who pitched this idea to us? A uh, good friend of the show at this point, I think, Tom Patton, who yeah. has, um, I think he's had a name check on all of our Patreon stuff at some point now. He was on a live episode a few weeks back. <laughs> yeah, he, he, was. he uh, I was listening to one of our Q&A Diminisodes back the other day and he, he got a question in there. So well-established part of the framework. And he oh, was kind OG enough. Fan, yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind enough to send us a clip explaining his thought process for picking this out, which okay. I will drop in now. Hey everyone, this is Tom Patton. I'm the person who nominated Hamlet 1996 for this episode. I've always found Bill Bloody Shakespeare overrated. I'm glad to find out Soul hates him too on a blog post. Thou art thy diminishing returns. Ah, nice one, Tom. (laughs) Thank you, Tom. Uh, You may have Um, to listen to that a few times. He has got a southern accent. We're sorry about that. Uh, (laughs) I will, will, just to give a bit of context there, actually, Tom, um, Tom referred to a blog post. Yeah, yeah. Um... But what he's done there is, quite unsettlingly, Tom dug up a blog of mine that I wrote over ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that I forgot I had. Uh, and there, there was a post on it uh, lamenting uh, Shakespeare, or or basically expressing my my distaste to Shakespeare. And uh, Tom Tom sent me a link to it. This this blog, which may or may not have been deactivated by the time this episode actually goes out, <laughs> God knows what's on it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so yeah, you you were a bit of a a, a a negative towards the old Shakespeare there. Well, I'm I'm just gonna say it now. I mean, this is this is as you heard. This is why Tom chose this. He knows I don't like Shakespeare, and I think this is my hottest take. Uh, <laughs> this is you know from the guy who doesn't like the Godfather. Um, <laughs> out, out of all of my hot takes, of which there are many, I think my hottest take is that Shakespeare is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's your opinion. It seems like Tom is on your side there. Um, I'm. I must admit, I'm a bit of a recent convert to Shakespeare. 
you have to be though, don't you? You're an actor. You're like you, you have to like <laughs> pretend. You have to pretend to like Shakespeare to get anywhere as an actor. All right, let me come back to that. But I want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I was worried I wasn't going to be able to defend Shakespeare in any way, shape, or form. So uh, yes, yes, we, we brought in um, a Shakespeare expert, um, and so I'd like to introduce uh, Nikki Diss. Let's say hello, Nikki. Hi. <laughs> hello. So Nikki, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. My thank pleasure. You for, coming along um now i've just said you're a shakespeare expert there are you going to justify my words or what? <laughs> a shakespeare expert yeah um <laughs> I, I well i suppose um i'm not sure that i believe that such a thing really exists like i don't want to get too wanky about it but look we we have uh, we have a calvin dyson i don't know if you're familiar with him we have calvin <laughs> dyson on the show pretty much every other week and he is the number one james bond expert on youtube <laughs> right. By his own words. His credentials for that is that he makes James Bond videos on YouTube. So I think you're fine. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, um yeah, I I'm, I'm probably honest I I make Shakespeare productions. I do Shakespeare productions and I love Shakespeare. Um but that's not to say that I think that I will defend all Shakespeare to the death as you will okay, see good. later in this podcast. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I I think Shakespeare gets a massively bad rep. Um, oh, really? I do, well, yeah, for sure. I've never encountered a single person who doesn't look at me with absolute scorn when I say I don't like Shakespeare. Oh, that's interesting. Because we, um, so I actually, um, one of my main jobs now is um, directing uh Shakespeare for Fuller's Pub Gardens over the summer and um we obviously encounter because we have a pub crowd coming in we encounter a lot of especially in you know in the interval a lot of like oh my wife dragged me here my friend dragged me here (laughs) and I thought I was gonna hate it and I absolutely loved it and um a lot of that sort of you know uh, a lot of um well that that's the thing and of course Nikki what what you do Nikki is you do shows in pub gardens yeah uh, in a very small and close space uh, with like usually four or six actors yeah and obviously they're reduced versions and you do tend to do kind of the bawdy comedy type ones (laughs) um rather than yeah Hamlet so yeah, you are sure. you are yeah. working to that potential audience there, and I think that's where people get into Shakespeare. And, and but they were all they were all bawdy. They were yeah, they were all bawdy audiences. Like people were, you know, it was it would have been common for people to be taking a piss like in the like in the groundlings and drinking and like they were all bawdy audiences. It's why all Shakespeare plays have comedy in them and why they all have drama in them because you had to keep, you had to keep people's attention. It was basically like performing to, well, it was performing to a bunch of pissed people. I think this speaks to part of why I've grown to like really hate Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I really come to him through, I mean, he's on the national curriculum. Obviously you're forced to learn about him in school and I never yeah. quite made peace with that because I get he I get he was a very influential writer and very prolific, but I mean so Stephen King and we don't like make make you do an entire syllabus on, <laughs> no. on Stephen King. You know, music students don't get forced to sit and study the Beatles, as far as I know. Well, actually, it's almost even it's worse than that because you wouldn't study the Beatles by like reading it off a page and looking at the dots. Yeah, you'd listen to it. Well, this is this is what I, I wanted to say actually because. For me, 
Shakespeare, yeah, had been something I'd done at school and didn't really care mm. about. But mm. as I've got, I have got into acting as I got older, and that kind of does. Uh, and when I got into acting, it was very much like uh, I'm not going to do Shakespeare. I've never studied Shakespeare. I've never learned it. I can't do that. So I just sort of put it to one side. And then a couple of years ago, I went to see a couple of plays by the RSC. You realise it's a piece of piss to do Shakespeare. Well, that's what I real- <laughs> that's what I realised when I watched this film as an actor. All you have to do is emote. And it doesn't matter what emotion you're conveying. Yeah. As long as there's an emotion. Well, well, what I've, what I've, what I got from watching these plays, it was my first time I'd seen Shakespeare and gone, oh, right. Yeah, that's great. I get it. And I think it was part, it's just partly down to seeing it done well. Yeah. And it's one of those things that can be done so badly. So seeing it done well really kind of made me go, oh. Mm. And then off the back of that, I went, oh, well, I'll have a go at that. And I, I have. Um, I have acted in a Shakespeare play, and yeah, frankly, it was a lot easier than I expected it to be. I think the language is not as uh, as dense as you think it is. What, you read yeah. it, yeah. and you go, "Oh, actually, I do know what that means." There's a couple of words that I might have to check, but like, you get the gist of it quite easily, and then you can work out. My dad loved Shakespeare. And he would sit with me and when I was having to study it at school and I didn't particularly like it. And he sat with me and he taught me not to be afraid of it, I guess. He was like, mm. nobody nobody picks up a page of Shakespeare and goes, oh, I know exactly what that means just by reading it. He said, you have to say it out loud. And so I started saying it out loud. Now I can pick up a Shakespeare book and laugh at what's on the page, but only because I understand the language so well. I, can, I could watch... Branagh's Hamlet and go it made me I was I've never been interested in directing Hamlet and I was like oh my god the things I would do to this like (laughs) this play because it was so it was so it was so not the I mean for starters one one of the things I wrote down when I was writing I was kind of furious about halfway through and I was like it's not a film is it it's not a film it's just not a film it's not a film and I think I kind of felt that right from the beginning and I actually interestingly looked up as well because I was like when did when did um Baz Luhrmann do Romeo and Juliet I was sort of furiously looking at it it was the same year which is so fascinating because what Baz Luhrmann did was he basically sort of reinvented it for a generation and mm. and um well and well whether whether you liked it or loved it i hated leonardo dicaprio so i hated Romeo <laughs> and juliet when i was 11 but when i rewatched it actually what he what they did with that whole th- well i think they actually knew a lot more about the play than <laughs> i did when i was 11 and they knew a lot more about the play than it seems like Branagh did. I love Branagh's Much Ado. Branagh, I think he, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I grew up on it. It's not unflawed, but I really felt Canary. a four-hour, a four-hour version of Hamlet. Like, wh- who is that for? Because <laughs> it's for, well, it's for actors, isn't it? It's for it's for school teachers who want an easy four lessons. Exactly what I wrote down. I was like, is this just for? Ed- was it just for education? Because like building a a castle set, an indoor castle set, so that they could, you know, I mean, it, I was like, they why? Yeah. What? It was so. <laughs> Look, I, I can we can we put a pin in the Kenneth yeah. Branagh version specifically because yeah, what yeah, I think is going to happen quite bizarrely <laughs> is I think I'm going to leap in to defend Kenneth Branagh's possibly yeah yeah vision for this film as someone who hates Shakespeare and we're going to kind of 
inverse uh like yin and yang which is yeah which is great, <laughs> yeah uh, for a balance of opinion but um just just in the broadest terms i, I mean yeah i i don't know with, with shakespeare i think i really came to it from i've never been able to shake the sense that everyone in the world is pretending to like shakespeare to wind me up and <laughs> everyone yeah. actually and, and i think it's because i came to it from school but i studied drama i studied theater at school and so i was in a class full of um dare i say bordering on pretentious you know kids who'd taken theater studies at a level and and were convinced they were going to become actors and some of whom have uh, many of whom haven't and i don't know it just always felt like I was the only person, I was the only kid in the school who could, like, see the Matrix, see the, the <laughs> code for what it was, and just yeah. say, like, look, this this isn't actually that good. And I remember <laughs> we went on a school trip to London to um, to watch, I mean, cry, two of the worst, imagine <laughs> the worst double bill you could possibly imagine. It was um, King Lear at the, is it the Globe? The one we have to stand up for the entire duration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Globe, yeah. Followed by uh, We Will Rock You, the Ben Elton <laughs> Queen musical. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember being oh one of maybe three people in the class who actually subjected myself to King Lear fully and stood there and watch the whole thing, while the vast majority of the class snuck off and went for a pint, and like snuck back <laughs> in during the intermission, snuck off again, and they watched maybe 20 minutes at best. Afterwards, I came out and they were like, wow, wasn't that amazing? No, I didn't think it was actually. Oh, but the acting, the acting was amazing, the language. You couldn't even sit through more than 20 minutes before you got bored. I like, it, it, that's what I'm talking about. It's this kind of... Yeah. I had the same thing when I studied surrealist theatre with the same class, and they'd... <laughs> I, remember, I remember someone telling me that it's actually very difficult to to write surrealist theatre and, and uh, you know, go on, give it a go. Let's see how easy it is then. And I remember straight away just saying, I don't know, there's a spider in my kettle. And she just looked <laughs> at me and went, yeah, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> um, but it, it's... I don't know. It's every person I've ever interacted with seems to love Shakespeare. Um, you know, the the kind of more intellectual people seem to get some kick out of analysing it and and deconstructing it. Um, my my ex girlfriend was a huge fan and and would always sort of make a case for it. My the one argument I remember, like properly heated argument I've had with my granddad, is when <laughs> I I sort of tried to make the case like. You know, he didn't actually invent all these hundreds of different terms that he's credited with. A lot of them were just, like, in use, and he's, like, mm -hmm. the first uh, written record of it, blah, blah, blah. And my granddad got furious, like, lots of people much smarter than you like Shakespeare. And, and it was like, okay. Right, was... Um, even my even my current girlfriend, who's, who's not by any stretch uh, an intellectual, I asked her the other day, and she said she liked Shakespeare. I, th I think basically what it comes down to is I don't actually think his stuff is very well written. And that's what it... Well, I think so. That I think he's a great wordsmith. I think there's some yeah, very beautiful yeah, exactly wordplay word and, and writing. I think he's brilliant at similes and metaphor yeah, yeah. of a time, many of which are dated. I do not think he's good at structure, character, Narrative. plot, <laughs> any yeah. of the stuff like that that's important. So I think what you end up is... <laughs> 
a load of incredibly superficial stuff that might as well just be a poem. Ah. And then my other my other famous hot take is poems bullshit. Just put some music over it as a song. <laughs> but that yeah, but that's it. I think what you get with Shakespeare is uh, some very beautiful moments, and they can be comedic, they can be tragic, oh god, absolutely, they can be all sorts of things. But yeah, as if you try and watch a full play, especially you know if someone who knows what they're doing can abridge it and make it sense of it, great. The Lion when King. you watch a full version of it, it's just like, what the hell is going on? This doesn't make any sense. This is like, why is this this scene here? This is not relevant. What's this subplot about? And I, I realised recently that it's not just Shakespeare, but I despise iambic pentameter. I just cannot <laughs> listen to it. I think it was when um, Inside Number 9, uh, if, if you if you watch that show, uh, Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton's incredibly well-written, for the most part, comedy, bottle room TV show that they do. Mm. They they did an episode last series, no, series before, sorry, called Zanzibar or something like that, and the, the gimmick of that one was that it was written in iambic pentameter, and I, I just can't... Welcome to Hotel Zanzibar. I see you have not stayed with us before. But please, feel free to linger in our corridor and take a butcher's around the ninth floor. The residents who here will spend the night like mountaineers at base camp they just might be on their way up or on their way down. Some are an anorak, others a crown. But all are here to meet their fate head on. Will Lady Luck smile on them come the doom? Who knows? Because I'm just here to lick their chips and smile and smile hope for decent tips i can't deal with it i just i don't know what it i just can't i think part of the main issue with shakespeare is that lots of people do it very badly and if you do mm. if you go and see a really great one of the sort of great performers uh, some of the best people that i've seen do shakespeare robert lindsay David Tennant, I saw play Romeo, which is one of my early, both of those are very early experiences for me. I saw Robert Lindsay play Richard III and he was unbelievable and so funny and evil, but funny. And it was this incredible performance, but so relaxed. And it was just like, mm. he wasn't talking a different language. Um, mm. And actually that's what Branagh normally, I know that we're putting a pin in Branagh, but that's, that's normally how I feel about him and how I feel about him in Much Ado. They make it make sense, but they don't sound like they're speaking poetry. Although mm. late latterly, I've started to feel like, and particularly watching Hamlet, I did feel that, but it shouldn't sound like somebody speaking poetry. The point of the rhythm of Shakespeare is to help an actor to is to know what the emotion is. When they were first written, there were no stage directions. There were no or very few stage directions. Yeah, what about exit pursued by a bear? We've all heard about yeah, that. Yeah, there's no, but there's heart like it's, and it's only really the stage directions are only there where it's not in the text because it's all extraneous. He wrote them in a few days. Yeah. Sometimes less than that. All of the additions that we buy, they've got locations written in them that have been made up because no, there are very few locations written in Shakespeare. So they, they you have to glean them from the text. And they were only right. given their cues. They were shoved on with no idea what necessarily what was going to happen around them. They just had to say their speech and go off. So it obviously was a very, obviously it was a very, very different style and I'm not that's not mm. how we do it now it would be mental if we did that now or you'd only do it as an exercise Romeo and Juliet one of the most abused texts in Shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> 
I I learned I read a one of those sort of mad like things you don't know about anything and it wasn't even it wasn't specific to Shakespeare and it was um just was like there's no balcony in in Romeo and Juliet and I was like what and then <laughs> I then now like, it's the first thing I always say whenever I'm talking about Shakespeare I'm always like did you know by the way there's no balcony in Romeo and Juliet <laughs> And they literally say, he literally says what light through yonder window breaks. So, and there's no balcony. So that's just a painting someone did and everyone assumed it was a balcony. And so we call it the balcony scene. I I think I'm most familiar with Romeo and Juliet from when Calculon performs a speech from it in an episode (laughs) of Futurama. And I I don't know what you're talking about. I think it's been treated with uh, (laughs) a great deal of respect to that text (laughs) through the ages. No, well, you see, I did Romeo and Juliet last year, and even I, who loved Shakespeare, had no idea what, like, how much there was in there that I even, I hadn't read or hadn't, um, and it, what always happens, you see, is whenever I direct a Shakespeare play, it always ends up being my favourite um, <laughs> for that next year, until I do another one, with the exception of, I mean, there are no, there aren't, obviously not all of them are great. Um, some of them are extremely confusing and utterly bizarre. When you go to analyse Shakespeare, often you just have to say, like, well, it's possible that when he said that when at the beginning of Hamlet he says uh, it's been a month and she's already married and then later Ophelia says well, it's been four months and you don't sort of go, oh, then three months have passed. It's probably because Shakespeare forgot what he'd written at the beginning. <laughs> so then yeah. there's a lot of that, a lot of like people going off to go somewhere and then someone staying for another scene and then them getting, those people getting there first. And you're like, where have mm. they been? Like what, what in your sort of, <laughs> for the actors, like what distracted them on the way that they are like by far the last person to get there, even though they set off first and... <laughs> There's a lot of that, but at its heart, it's a gift for actors. I think that is true. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think I I always, prior to this Branagh film, I don't know why I said that so weirdly, um, <laughs> I'd always kind of thought of it as being its own style of acting and very separate. And, you know, to give, to give this film some credit, and I think this mm. is what, you know, most modern interpretations of Shakespeare trying to do right by Shakespeare do, you know, it is supposed to be read in a far more natural way as if people are just talking to each other. But then I just, I I think iambic pentameter is completely counter to that. And when I was younger, I used to think, oh, well, that's how people spoke in the olden days. You can't hold it against them. But (laughs) that's not how people spoke in the old days. They, They didn't, you know, sit around spending hours getting to a point you know what hath what hath thou cometh into your thine ears and kiss thy neck with with you know sugary lust i, I don't know it's just yeah i mean you've just written some shakespeare there which is marvelous <laughs> so, um... but i think that's what that's what i was saying Sol, about when i saw a good production of it it was like i could understand it because it wasn't just this kind of to the meter kind of mm. I'm just saying words. It was emoting the words and therefore yeah. it's much easier well, to understand. And when there you is a bit be of a say, language yeah, you, barrier. It's not written in yeah, it's written in sentences, not in lines. The rhythm is supposed to be there for the but at the same time, like what I think what you say 
it's why a lot of Shakespeare on film fails because it is theatre. It's not written for yeah. film and it's it's not realism. It's not realistic. It's supposed to be theatre. It's supposed to be live and thrilling and you're supposed to get stuff wrong and it's supposed to be out there and bo- and I guess that's a lot of that is going to be to do with taste like if you if you much prefer realism to theatre you see I love mm. I'm a theatre nut like I like theatre to be theatre so yeah. from that point of view I love Shakespeare because it is it is rude and it you know uses swear words it, like the fact that there's swearing in it just makes me like go that's fu-. like when I was a kid I was like that's brilliant when I saw Henry V for the first time and they used like there's a c-word joke and I was like what that word didn't <laughs> exist then like no no there's no way that's not right that's that can't be in the actual Shakespeare so there's a yeah. lot of like people did take a lot of license and when they went out on tour they just started making other bits up and put taking out what didn't work and putting in what did and everyone's very strict with it which is why I kind of resent the four hour thing because I think no I don't it's it's unlikely that it was ever really done as four hours it's like that the four hour Hamlet is like it's all that was written and then like all put together and not necessarily even I mean I don't know that none of us were there so we don't know but a four hour play is mad like who's that like four out four hours (laughs) but like a good sword fight is great but can we just can everyone just die already because um so obviously you can you can cut things have you ever uh add lines in like if if you have to just sort of even if it's to fill in something you've had to cut and you have to kind of make it work oh well you have to make a decision oh there's a bear going after him yeah (laughs) you have to make a decision on some uh, i mean there obviously are some racist aspects to the plays that aren't like necessarily um, we actually did have a line uh, in in Midsummer Night's Dream. There's some, and uh, I'm assuming they mostly get cut because I'd never heard them, or if I had, I hadn't noticed. Yeah. Um, but there's a, a line um, which, when Lysander has um, been, what's the word, has been cursed or whatever, and doesn't love Hermia anymore, he compares her to a uh, while she's a raven over a dove, and uh, the Hermia, our Hermia was black, and our Helena was white, and so I said, like, well, we obviously can't either. We cut it, or and so what we did was we changed her next line to, "Why are you grown so rude and kind of <laughs> racist?" And like she's crying, but like, but we were like, as I say, like I suggested it and. Cassie threw her head back laughing and so that went in and it always got the most amazing laugh because obviously but I think people definitely leave that line in because I've heard it before but obviously it it never had such a pertinence until we got to that point when we were reading it and of course when he wrote it there was no such thing as black actors so no (laughs) it wouldn't have been an issue (laughs) well they didn't even have woman actors back then did they that that was yeah there are anti-semitic lines we've changed those um and uh obviously not done much in venice which is obviously a very problematic play but but there are obviously other references because that is how the what the perception was then and it is appalling and and this is this is a scale of, of shakespeare where uh shakespeare's stuff yeah there's obviously there's things of its time and, and things that are no longer acceptable but yeah something like the merchant of venice or taming of the shrew which is just like, I don't know how you could possibly put that on now. It's just, you can't, 
like I saw Taming of the Shoe very recently for the first mm. time, and I was just like, "This is just disgusting! I can't believe that you're making this." Like, well, that's interesting, actually, because we were going to until coronavirus, um, we were going to do Taming of the Shrew this summer. How are you? How will you approach that without it just being completely horrific? Yeah, well, this is it. So we, I was like, no, I reckon. I can do this. I can make this. And, but not. All, all you have to do is have Whoopi Goldberg come out at the start and say, look, this was written in a time. It's, you know, it's not really appropriate. And just take it for what it is. All right. Enjoy the show. <laughs> um, yeah, that we could um, not afford her. But um, we. Um, so they're both awful. It's actually not about. Mm. gender as much as you think it is there but she is awful which i think people don't really people are sort of like oh she's misunderstood she's appalling she is extremely violent towards her sister what's caused that was obviously something we were going to explore once we got into the play but in the first scene she pokes her in the eye i think quickly going back to the whole thing about adding in sort of mm. ad-libs and new gags. Yeah. This is something that, again, I think kind of annoys me with Shakespeare, because consistently, when I've spoken to people about Shakespeare productions, you know, like, it, it doesn't surprise me at all that that, oh, this is kind of racist line gets the best laugh of the night, because, you know, I, I'd go out on a limb and say that's funnier than any joke Shakespeare uh. ever wrote. But, <laughs> but, but, it, but it's just consistently, whenever I speak to people, it's always the ad-libbed extra bits that they remember and like it's like people desperately trying to improve something as a, as a general rule i don't really like that I, I remember when i went to see the les miserables uh 25th anniversary show and matt lucas debuted as Tenardier, and he was mm. obviously quite nervous and he just did it as as it's written Tenardier, great but then i went to see les miserables again on on the west end several years later and i didn't realize matt lucas was still doing it but there he was and he'd obviously been doing it for a couple of years and got so comfortable with it that he was just doing all these little comedy asides in between the songs and mm. little ad libs and it was like oh stop it matt lucas you that, that oh it's annoying you're already playing a comedy character you don't need to keep i, mm. I went to see the producers on stage years and years ago um which i love but peter k who i'm not a huge fan of was playing uh, the the incredibly camp film uh, theatre oh, director yeah. who ends yeah, up playing yeah, Hitler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was infuriating because you've got this great comedy show on the stage, but then Peter Kay keeps kind of going, oh, tell you what, garlic bread, like coming no, out of character yeah, and no, doing little bits to the audience. <laughs> and great. everyone in the audience was laughing their heads off because they, they'd obviously come to see Peter Kay Peter on Kay, stage. Yeah. But I was well, just there like, stop shitting all over this already good thing by making it peter k which it isn't i think the difference there is that there are obviously there are lots of there are lots of gags in shakespeare that aren't going to land anymore and i think if they're not going to yeah. land you have to change them and they're topical they're topical some of them which just makes no sense so then it's more like the equivalent of um you know in the mikado the grand high executioner and his like list of things and you they put in 
a list of things that is appropriate or we had yeah, um, right. we had a line in the Merry Wives of Windsor that made no sense it was like I'd rather trust him with my so he's saying like that he doesn't trust Falstaff with his wife I'd rather trust I'd rather trust and then he lists things that would make no sense to him so I was like okay so that we've got to change this because it doesn't make any sense so we said I'd rather mm. trust and of course we weren't doing pub gardens so we said I'd rather trust um, Weatherspoons with my breakfast. Um, mm. Like I'd rather trust him with dipping me biscuit in me brew. Yeah, but <laughs> that's that is obviously dreadful. But that is slightly different from changing Shakespeare. But I, I will give Shakespeare something of a pass on this because you know, yeah, comedy ages. Yeah, and yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I I can appreciate that what was funny back then. I can appreciate that comedy hadn't developed to the point that you could do something as meta as saying, "Oh, is this play racist?" within the play yeah. itself, and it like it wouldn't have made sense. We we had you know an episode on Laurel and Hardy uh, a while back, and it was the same thing I think where Alan and I both kind of could recognise that it was funny, but in a kind of way that didn't make us laugh. Yeah, yeah, in a kind of oh, this is this is technically a joke kind of way. Yeah, but just completely on a different level to the the jokes with about ten layers on them that you get in most internet memes now, or yeah, you know, a a, a, a tightly written sitcom with twenty writers, you know, yeah, of course, writing yeah. a gag a minute. It's yeah, yeah, it, you know, it just doesn't compare to to someone being called Nick Bottom. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. Again, part of what annoys me then is that I just, I, I don't know, I feel like Shakespeare is very dated, regardless of how you look at it. And if you mm-hmm. have to update it so much that you're kind of really, really changing what you've got to work with or working around what you're given, I don't know. It's just like, you know, I, I there's lots of films from the olden days that, that I like as sort of cultural artifacts but I kind of have to switch a a, a toggle in my mind that kind Mm. of says right you've got to take this as a product of its time I I watched a film yesterday uh Akira Kurosawa film called High and Low which is this thriller about a, a guy's son being kidnapped and it was made in 1963 so not that old but it's very dated in terms of its pacing but for when it was made, it was clearly a an incredible, you know, thrilling detective drama. And it's, I don't know, I, I think it's just the equivalent of if they did a remake of that film now, but they didn't change the script, or they only added a couple of words, instead of like going, right, well, the all these conversations are three sentences too long and the pacing's not snappy enough yeah. it, it's just a bit and, and I think that's it, it's like at a certain point something becomes a relic of its time, I think it's okay to retire it and leave it as a kind of maybe once in a blue moon people will kind of dig it out and go oh we're, we're doing a kind of throwback to this old thing, mm. we're doing a new production of this, but it's it's the it's the notion that it's so prevalent now as a thing, like I say, in schools. I mean, I, you know, I, I've... Theatre doesn't it doesn't work in the same way as film in that I totally mm. agree. There's lo- loads of times when you see someone go, are you kidding me? Like, why are you remaking that? That was perfect as it was. Or it wasn't perfect, but 
I'd rather just watch that again. And actually, Branna's, Branna does that all the time. Branna's doing it at the moment with... I'm a big Agatha Christie fan, and um, he's obviously oh, God, going yeah. through... But going through the same <laughs> ones as well. And you sort of think... it's almost, It is almost like he's making a point that he can do better, which is sort of extraordinary, really, because um, I totally agree for film, but of course theatre is something that we sort of, I guess you like to think of as being alive and it changes all the time. So Mm. you might do something differently. I... Theatre is all about keeping that alive, I think. So I don't, I I think that you can, you can adapt Shakespeare. And I actually, as I say, when I was a, you know, my young sort of purest self was not a fan of what was done with Romeo and Juliet and watching it again later, I was like, actually, it gets the core of that story much better than most live productions that I've seen. The warring yeah. families and the, and actually not even the focus of that story isn't actually necessarily Romeo and Juliet. It's actually the families and the other characters that are drawn into, you know, they're at the centre of it. Can uh, can I drag us reluctantly yeah, to Ken to the actual, the actual subject. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, I think, you know, obviously we did want to cover a lot of Shakespeare ground here because we, we're probably never going to talk about Shakespeare again. So this is our <laughs> chance. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we are here to actually talk about Hamlet, uh, 1996 by Kenneth Branagh. We, we'll go through this bit, uh, go through this kind of bit by bit, I guess. But yeah, Kenneth Branagh had already done a Shakespeare film. He'd done Henry V uh, and was critically lauded for it. He'd done Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, you know, and he went on to do other things as well. Hmm. This, But this seems to be his magnum opus. You know, he, it's a full, hmm. unabridged version, four hour. It's like, there's no way... It could possibly, uh, yeah, m- be I successful mean, with audiences. <laughs> ever, like if I have ever seen a passion project made by someone who's like worked their way to a point within Hollywood that they get enough power to make something yeah. that has no commercial appeal and is going to <laughs> obviously lose money. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, and and you know. Uh, I, I don't know where to start, really. I, 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 obviously, I'd never seen this film before. I don't think I've seen many straight Shakespeare adaptations uh, in terms of films before. I think it is the longest film I have ever seen. I, that, like, I'm not <laughs> just saying that as like a. I, I think... Is it not? Is it not one of the longest? Is it not like one of the longest theatrical releases? Ever? I think it's because it's four Probably. hours and two I, minutes. It, I think I yeah. saw that somewhere. Um, I think it might actually be the longest like cinematic release or something ever. It's got to be up there. Yeah. It, well, Gone with the Wind is the only Gone with the Wind is the only like super long like four-ish mm. hour film that I know of. So I have seen that. Mm. But I um, I think prior to this, the longest film I'd seen was Once Upon a Time in America, which I had it in my head was four hours, but it's not. It's three hours and forty-nine minutes long. <laughs> so close. Um, so. I mean, this is. I think this is the first time I've ever crossed that four-hour mark. Oh no, I had. You know, I'd seen Gone with the Wind very recently before, and that is, I've just looked up three hours and fifty-eight minutes. There you go. But yeah, I think this is the first time I've crossed the four-hour mark, unless you count um, there was that O.J. Simpson documentary that won an Oscar a few years back, which uh, was basically a TV series that somehow got entered into the Oscars as a movie, and it has a running time of about. 
I think eight hours. <laughs> right, but yeah. Um, but I'm not sure if I count that. Yeah, seven hours, 47 minutes long. I think it's screened like once in its entirety, uh, some crazy film festival, but it's basically a TV miniseries. Um, so excluding that, Hamlet is the longest film I've ever seen. I mean, I, I, a few nights ago, I, I had a bit of um, transient insomnia where I just couldn't sleep. And I got to about four in the morning and I thought, oh, you know what? I need to watch Hamlet. (laughs) (laughs) That might be the perfect thing to get me off to sleep here. So, uh, yeah, I I put it on. And to be honest, that's probably the best thing I could have done for it because it it had my full attention. Um, I was too tired to be you know, pissing about on my phone while I was watching it or anything like that. But I don't know, it, it didn't it didn't put me to sleep. But I think it exacerbated things by like making me like want to die. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I, it's it's hard. Like so I mean like I've complained about iambic pentameter. Mm-hmm. Um but I think putting that aside the pacing in this film, and I don't know if it's just this film or Hamlet in general, but the pacing is just horrible. Yeah. Um, Like, the opening scene, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. And, like, every character, every exchange between characters just lasts about five times longer than it needs to. And it, yeah. it reminded me of reading... Um, I, I, you know, I've mentioned Les Miserables already. I'm, I'm a fan of the musical. So at one point, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll read the old uh, Victor Hugo. No, is it Victor Hugo? Uh, no, it's um. It is, isn't it? No. Is it? Vic- I should really know this off the top of my head. It's Victor Hugo. It is Victor Hugo. It is. Yeah. Ooh, Alan, you were wrong. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I tried reading uh, Les Miserables, and it, it was that thing of it's. Oh God, there's about five chapters describing this priest's hat and the mm. fabric it's made out of, and I, it was just. <laughs> Hey, do you know Just what? I had a I had a similar experience when I read The Count of Monte Cristo. Because The Count of Monte Cristo is something I read an abridged version of when I was a kid and really liked it and I've seen plays and, and, and films and stuff. But when you actually read the book... It's got these huge chunks that are like travelogue things. And it's just describing this person <laughs> who's a ancillary character traveling to Italy somewhere <laughs> where there was a parade. And it's just because at the time when novels were novels was still quite a nascent thing and it was like yeah, it, this we can do a little travel documentary in the middle of a novel. That's not a problem because no one's ever been to Italy who's going to read this. So they, they haven't experienced yeah. that. I can do a genuine account of that. I'm a writer who's been there and done it. And mm. and yeah, there's just not the same sense of like get to the point. Well, <laughs> I, think... <laughs> I think that's what that's what I find frustrating about it because I think it it feels like it's been made as an educational tool rather than actually mm. as a film. And um from that point of view, it was quite interesting. If I'm ever thinking about directing it, like yeah. I now have, a, I now know exactly what the unabridged version is because I yeah. would have no idea because nobody ever does mm. the unabridged version because it's it's insanely long and no one is going to sit in a theatre for that long. When you say educational tool, I, I think it's important to say, you know, I, I I assume you're not just referring to primary school kids. Like I, <laughs> I, I think it's... A yeah. really wonderful artifact to have a filmed version of unabridged Hamlet out yeah. there. Should people ever, you know, want to see that? 
for some you know well if you're given an obscure an obscure scene to like the conversation between laertes and Mm. claudius Mm. like uh, which went on for i mean i definitely phased out during that and i (laughs) there's there's actually because there's a it's quite common in the sort of big the big tragedies is that in act four the main character disappears for the whole of act four and they give it give them that give that character that time off so um romeo gets a break leah i think gets a break so and hamlet obviously Mm. and you and it i've i was like i've never noticed that in a production i've never gone like where's he gone but in this i was like this is the longest conversation i've ever seen (laughs) and it's literally just so in a in a theater version it would just be so that the guy playing hamlet could have a sit down there's no need in a film version to kind of keep this whole thing in where they're just having a this the same conversation yeah. over and over again. So it's things yeah. like that. But yeah, if you need an obscure if you ever needed to study an obscure scene of Hamlet, then you could definitely do worse than some of the performers. I personally I think the whole thing is as a film is undone by being uncut. Like I think mm. it ruins the film. I think long speeches with action some action underneath them i think you're either you're distracted by the stuff that they're showing you and not listening to what's actually being said or you're i don't think it does what he intended which is to explain what's being said for me like yeah, I was, yeah. and actually interestingly he's the person he doesn't trust with long speeches he gave them to other characters oh. but branner is the one who often had stuff particularly at the beginning i noticed but Winslet gets her whole her whole speech about Hamlet being mad and they don't have him being mad underneath you know they don't have footage of mm. him um shouting at her underneath it they just let her do the speech and the same with like with a few of the others but definitely Claudius gets his full speech mm. Mm. there's no like oh I did this underneath it yeah. um but with the exception of blessed obviously in his death old Hamlet's death um it's mostly Branagh who gets like other stuff underneath and a bit of um and I guess the exposition maybe visual cutaways and things and maybe that's just because he gets he gets more of it he's got like several soliloquies to throw at so you can't just do everyone just a nice slow zoom in on the face could have been it would have been really nice to to actually just have Branagh talk to camera um but that's a personal thing, I think. It feels like with Much Ado, there's a lot more of a like a sense that there's an audience watching and it's a lot mm. more sort of alive. Whereas with this, it just feels like there's a lot of like really boring people marching around, like talking <laughs> to each other, basically. Um, yeah, I, I really wondered as well, because, you know, I, I, I did just say that I, I do see a value in this being a kind of pure... Mm. encapsulation of hamlet just a kind of record of it in case yeah. humanity is wiped <laughs> off the planet and yeah, they can yeah, go, yeah. oh that's what hamlet was um but then it begs the question of why why is it updated to the 19th century why why is like genuinely yeah, I, I, I don't odd. know if there's a an no. answer for this but the setting the setting as it was written was what elizabethan yeah and it took me a while to realise that the setting in this film... Like, initially I was like, oh, this seems a bit more modern. I'm not quite sure when this is set. But I looked it up and it's 19th century, isn't it? With... Well, it's just judging by the clothing and stuff like that, really, isn't it? It's just... Yeah, I didn't I didn't look it up, but that was... My, yeah, but it's very... I, and again, it's a very common thing in productions. It's just to Why? set it wherever you fancy it. And I don't get that at all. I, I understand the impulse to modernise it and make it contemporary. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I completely get that because you know mo- most contemporary plays, if you were doing an adaptation of it, you wouldn't go, "Oh, it was written in 2017, so we yeah. have to set it three years ago." Yeah. Um, you just think, "Yeah, it's set in modern day." So I-, I get that. I understand the impulse to go wildly left field with it and be like. It's Hamlet in space, and yeah. like do something a bit crazy to make it more interesting. Yeah. Um, but I don't get why you would just put it in a different historical setting that's quite similar, pretty much very similar to contemporary audiences. Really, I'm sure a lot of people watch this without realizing they had made any sort of change. Yeah, exactly. You're watching this. It's just the olden times. Who knows, right? But I think my best my best guess is they found a really nice location. A really. I was big just house, about to say that, <laughs> and, and it's it only because century. we're talking about it. Yeah, that they it's it's Blenheim Palace, isn't it? The ex- exterior, the rest of it they built. They, the rest of it is a set, which is quite obvious I, for me. And I thought that was mm. quite odd as well. I was like, just film it. But I think they didn't want to ruin. This is the car. This is a castle that we can use, and we can't find an Elizabethan. Yeah. Castle Plus, I think in terms of of interiors as well you you know your elizabethan style is you know just drab stone basically whereas you can go with a nice fancy hall of mirrors kind of feel it gives you a lot more options there i think it's a real strike against it as a pure record of hamlet which seems Mm. to be the only real justification for doing grace or purpose to this movie (laughs) yeah Mm. what my, my sort of takeaway from watching this was that hamlet is a bit of a dick yeah. Oh, no. massively. Yeah. I, I really yeah. I wasn't sure at what point if I was supposed to be on his side or not. And obviously at the end he dies, he kind of is the victim of his own life as well as everyone else. I, I it's I don't think he's supposed to come away going, Oh, he was the hero and he won at the end. Like he, nobody wins. You know, well that's what's so weird about that ending, and I think that it, it kind of gives you a clue that he hasn't pulled off what he thinks he's pulled off, that moment where he's carried out with his arms up. Hamlet is um, obviously uh, an extremely like tortured guy. And I think you don't get any of that. It's all very, it kind of feels like he's maybe pretending to be mad, which is a reading of Hamlet. But I think there's definitely um, at the core of it is a a young man like grieving his father, however you read the rest of it. And you kind of have to believe that, which I think is not set up. And um, he's, I mean, he's too old anyway, even if he isn't as old as he looks. I think Branner's just one of those people who's always sort of looked older than he is. Um, <laughs> so he's not appropriate from that point of view anyway. So, well, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I had the same thought of just, you know, I, I genuinely didn't really know if I was supposed to like Hamlet or not. I, For the first half or so of the film, I think I really did think oh, he's meant to be an unlikable character. But I, I, I think I was remembering Macbeth in my head, honestly, this kind mm. of, oh, he's kind of anti-hero, isn't he? Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, as it went on, I really don't know how you're meant to take him. But I did yeah. make a note near the end that I think he's unwatchable. I don't care what happens to him. I don't yeah. want to experience another second of him, and I hate him. Yeah. So <laughs> that's but I you're definitely yeah. That I mean, no no one would write a lead where you're feeling that by the end, unless you really do. Unless yeah, you are supposed to want them to die, I suppose. But yeah. that that couldn't be anybody's intention, and I don't think it's Branner's either. But he's mm. he really misses a trick, I think with. 
And it, only at the end when he says, like, I love her, did you get any sense that he did? Any at yeah. all? Uh, yeah. When he's when she's dead is, like, the only time that I was like, oh, was is that what I was supposed to get from that? That he actually just, did love her? But that was the same thing. Like, he, he, he comes home and it's her funeral. He obviously doesn't realise. And the first thing he does is get pissed off because her brother is mourning more than he is. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. oh, hang on. No, you can't stop yeah. mourning because I loved her as well, you know. And I didn't get the sense that he loved her. I got the sense that he was just a petulant dick. I genuinely thought you were meant to hate him to start with. And I thought it was going to be about this character's growth or change. Yeah. But yeah, no. bafflingly, that doesn't seem to be it. He he really, for whatever reason, and I, I think this is Kenneth Branagh's performance specifically. Yeah. But I couldn't get over how much he reminded me of Gary King. Simon Pegg's character in The World's End, <laughs> where Simon Pegg plays a a, a knobhead, basically. Yeah. Who and and I I don't know if that's Kenneth Branagh's acting style is actually quite similar to like Simon Pegg. I don't know. It it's because I I have to say I I've never really seen Kenneth Branagh act uh, before. I, I've seen him in stuff, but he's always been. A kind of supporting role, usually some kind of army yeah. general or something, like in Dunkirk. I don't think I've really ever seen him in a massive uh, role. He might, oh, he might have been in that Frankenstein. He did, was he in that? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's... So this was kind of my introduction to him, and and by the end of it, I don't think, I don't think he's a good actor <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, maybe yeah. maybe that's not fair. Maybe it's just that this is. This is a theatrical performance that has yeah. not been remotely altered to fit a, a film yeah. screen. Yeah. But but more than that, it, it's it is blatantly a theatrical performance from someone who has done this role probably over a thousand times before. It's not watching someone perform Hamlet so much as it's watching a machine with like gears and cogs turning. Yeah. And it's just set on a track and none of it feels organic. It's completely throughout. And I think this is part of why Hamlet himself is so loathsome. Throughout, everything he does feels completely insincere. And I think that's mm. Kenneth Branagh not selling it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I, it definitely is because I, I mean, I've, yeah, I, I've, it's yeah. not I, again because like, because I haven't directed it. It's not my favorite play, um, <laughs> but and it might be one day. But um, I think actually, what was interesting was kind of dissecting it from that point, as though I was reading it, which is what I often do if I go and see a bad see a bad version. Is I start like thinking about what I would do and how yeah. I would do it differently. And I think, at, as I say, at the heart of it, he's sort of totally missed the miss the boat mm. on the on the, the like his relationship with any of those other people and of course what he's done is he's got lots of people in who've played those parts before or been in that play before or come out of retirement just so that they can be in Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet his as you say his mm. like op- opus and um we're doing this you want to come and like do a tiny part in it or do yeah you'll have one scene it has to be said that this this film has an incredible incredible cast yeah and Briars I think Briars is brilliant I could watch I mean I could watch Richard Briars do pretty much anything Mm. and I think he knows how good he is because he puts him in all his Shakespeare's (laughs) well actually I was thinking just in contrast to what you were saying about um Branagh there in terms of theatrical acting I thought Derek Jacobi pitched this perfectly for film yeah Um, yeah and Mm. there's and the scene the specific scene where he's doing his little soliloquy and it's just him sat at a desk 
I was transfixed. It was just him and yeah. his face. It was a slow track in, but I was totally in- involved in what he was doing and what he was saying. Yeah. I, I, I want to say, I think most of the actors in this film do a remarkable job. Yeah. Um, it, it's really Kenneth Branagh I'm honing in on here. Well, like, no, but that's why, but it's so bizarre because, as I say, if you're looking at the evidence of what everyone's doing around him, and I think also, as mm. I say, a lot of them have probably either played the part before or so are actually almost acting opposite a different version and I'd be interested to know how much he actually did with them as a director how much he actually asked them to change what they knew of Claudius or knew of Polonius or well I I imagine I imagine for a lot of them like the likes of Robin Williams this was the first time they played the role and so I imagine he was quite instrumental with you know not that what he's doing is particularly uh, difficult, but I I think what it likely is is that Kenneth Branagh was the director, and therefore mm. no one was directing his performance Him. because yeah, yeah. because his his performance in this film is I I remember back when I used to do drama, I remember getting annoyed with my or well, not annoyed but just sort of you know silly boys being silly boys, but I, I remember we were reading out this play in class, going through it just as the first read through. And some of us started doing kind of silly voices a bit on the sly. And then for one of the bits when I was given a a chunk to read for the day, I literally just shouted every single (laughs) line at the top of my lungs because I thought it was funny and my friends were cracking up. But my teacher loved it. She she didn't get that it was a joke. You know, I, I, I was literally just screaming everything I said like this. And she was like, yes, yes, brilliant. Like really getting into it. And it's just that kind of acting that I think Kenneth Branagh is doing here, where yeah. every every little thing he does is kind of chewing the scenery. Yes. But there's not actually much intent behind it. It's all just a bit over the tie. It, it was just infuriating. What do you read, my lord? Words. 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 What is the matter, my lord? Between who? I mean, the matter you read, my lord. Slander, sir, for the satirical rogue says here that old men have grey beards, that their faces are wrinkled, their eyes purging thick amber and plum tree gum, and that they have a plentiful lack of wit, together with most weak hams, all which, sir, though I most powerfully and potently believe, yet I hold it not honestly to have it thus set down. For you yourself, sir, shall grow old as I am, if, like a crab, you could go backward. Let this be madness, yet there is method in it. Whereas, like you say, the other actors in this film, for the most part, are turning in really good performances. Yeah. I I wasn't a big fan of uh, Kate Winslet. I thought she was a bit oh, crap. Okay. Um, ah, that's interesting. And literally from the first few lines, it was just like, it, fe- it just felt like someone reading Shakespeare lines with no mm. kind of real sense of what they were saying. And I don't know why, I just sort of, you expect Kate Winslet to be better than at Shakespeare, but I don't know why. I don't because she's not like she came through in film, not stage necessarily. So yeah, there there is one other actor who really stood out to me in this film for being bad. Um, okay, let's see and being... actually, yeah, do you want to do you want to take a stab at who it is? You might as well. <laughs> Let me think. Who else Make a game of it. Not like... Oh, it's there's there's one person who really stands out as being terrible, but I'd forgotten because they're right at the beginning. Is it? Oh no, he's not right at the beginning. Oh right, although I. I wasn't a huge fan of Brian Blessed actually. As oh the no, ghost. But that, no! But that—that that is just—I mean—that is just theatre acting, not translating to the screen. And yeah. a man who's known for shouting, pretending to whisper, 
It's oh god. It's an. I, you know, I love Brian Blessed, but yeah. In, t- in yeah. fact, in but, the whole the whole um, apparition of the Spectre was, it just felt like not very filmic. It's just like a silhouette. Yeah. And it's just like at least put a smoke machine yeah. on or something. You know, like. Yeah, well, the, well, the one time they tried to make it filmy and they they had him fade into nothingness was just awful. It was like I could do that on my phone, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was all very bizarre as well because that yeah. that was a scene where there was a dead body in the room and they just moved to a slightly different <laughs> part of the room yeah. and then ignored yeah. the dead body for like the the whole yeah. of the rest of the scene, which was utterly mm. weird. And it was like it <laughs> hadn't happened. And then at one point, the whole tone just shifts and it's like he's having a chat with his mum over a cup of tea. And it, that was. Mm. Uh, Alan, do you want to take another stab at it, or should I just tell you? No, go on. You just tell. I've seen this guy in plenty of other films, and I think he's a perfectly adequate actor. Billy Crystal. No! Oh. Billy Crystal was, like, one of my favourite bits. Yeah, I thought he was okay, because oh, that was character... embarrassing. He... Ten or less, you're nine, yeah? Why he more than another? Well, sir, his, his hide is so tanned with his trade that he will keep out water a great while. And your water is a sword to care of your horse and dead body. Here's a skull, sir. Now. This skull has lain in the earth three and twenty years. Whose was it? Horse and mad fellows it was. Whose do you think it was? Nay, I know not. <sighs> a pestilence on him from mad rogue. He poured a flagon of Rhenish on my head once. The same skull, sir, was Yorick's skull. The king's jester. He was trying so hard to sell ah. Shakespeare, and he can't do it. It's just... I don't know, because Billy the way he was like, always take like thee to the hard. bit... The bit when he when he said like, "Go away and get me a drink," and then he mimed. It was like, "Oh, stop! You're trying so hard to make this interesting and engaging. You can't do it." I hate. <laughs> I him. think that's just his kind of comedic instinct to do something with it, though. And I think yeah, Billy Crystal always feels like he's trying hard when he's acting. Like it always yeah, feels a little well... bit strained. Yeah, I actually really I thought of all of all of it actually that was the bit that I was like, oh, I kind of feel like. I'm on slightly more even ground. I think I, I actually felt like he was quite natural. And I know, like, obviously he did do the sort of... It was a welcome tonal shift. And yeah. I found it far more engaging than most of the film had been up until then. But it just, again, it felt like a stage performance. That oh, yeah, been yeah. dialed back yeah. for the movie. And again, you could, I don't know, it felt like you could see every gear and cog turning in his head. Yeah. Not in the same way as Kenneth Branagh, where he obviously knew it like the back of his hand, but like you could just see every thought going, right, what's the next line? How am I mm. going to do this one? What's the little visual uh, mannerism I've figured out to make this interesting that I'm going to do? It, it, ju- it didn't work for me at all. And, I, mm. you know, I normally like Billy Crystal. I, I think he's a perfectly fine actor and the likes of when Harry met Sally and things like that that I've seen yeah. him in. So. For me with that that scene it's classic examples when Shakespeare does a lot of just tortured sort of puns and banter and uh, I oh, just I, like I can't stand it where it's like oh tis tis my grave but tis not me who lays in it uh, oh she's yeah. tis not a woman for she is dead and uh, I just oh for, get on with it. But you see in the but in the in in the play, the whole point of that exchange is that the audience knows who that grave belongs to. Mm. And so that whole scene is about the tension of like someone, he's come back and although obviously he did, um, he's killed somebody. So there's, and that all of that was very confusing in this version. And that again, we might get to that later, but um, he sort of wanders back in. But in the play, that whole, like we 
in the play, you're supposed to believe he really did love her, that mm. he's going to be devastated when he finds out that well, she's Well, the problem dead. with that is the way and they play the scene. We know she's dead. Yeah. The way yeah, they play the scene, it's, it's not... Yeah. It just seems like he's wandered in like, oh, someone's dead, or what's going on? It, it's yeah. not like, oh my God, some, there's a grave on the grounds of this house. It must be someone that I know. It must be someone yeah. from my household. Who's dead? Who's dead? But that's but they're just sort of playfully throwing banter at each other. So in that in that way, Hamlet needs to play it more kind of aggravated and like just get frustrated. But I would say it's not a film. It's a it's a filmed play. I just don't think there's anything about it that you can say is particularly filmic. Well, even the opening. I I think it's to be honest. Going on that note, I think it's a far better adaptation of a play to to screen than many are you know we we talked about mm. uh fences for example a few years oh, yeah. back when it was up for the best picture uh oscar and you know it, it very much feels like someone just took a camera to a theater and and recorded uh the actors on stage but yeah um you know in, in a way that i don't think this does to be honest i think this does feel like just about as good a job of of opening this up and shooting it as a movie as one yeah. could do with the the play but then i i say that as someone who's not massively familiar with hamlet well there was there was a lot yeah i i to be honest with you using obviously he's built this big great big set uh with the mirrored doors and all this and that using that it felt very kubrickian um like in in the sense mm. of when you do the same thing with the shining and the hotel and all this these very big stark sets that are obviously just set up for filming large spaces doing lots of long shots on steady cams and stuff really like long filming a whole scene in one shot um mm. and stuff like that which kind of is a filmic thing but it's kind of relating to stage because it's like it's as one in as live you know yeah when i just then... thought a lot of the a lot of the sweeping stuff really bothered me because i just couldn't like i couldn't focus and it was just it just seemed very um I don't really know. Again, like I read that he's he filmed it in a certain way because he wanted it to be like Lawrence of Arabia, and I was like Lawrence of Lawrence of Arabia. This ain't like I uh, I really well, he, felt a lot of the music as well. The music that un, that was under it just really didn't fit. I just felt like it was somebody making a film who didn't know how to make a film. Like like if I was like, oh, I'm going to direct a film. I'd be like, oh, I think we need some music under this bit. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds fine. <laughs> I think perhaps the, the filmic elements were a bit clunky. Like, for example, putting the 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 different visuals under someone's speech. You can't yeah. do yeah. that in, in theatre or not quite in the same way. That's a film thing. And in, there's definitely a couple of scenes, particularly the ghost scene at the beginning, really choppy editing, but sort yeah. of choppy in a bad way, but obviously must have been deliberate. Yeah. And like odd continuity where you jump from one thing to another and it's like, oh, they've obviously moved down a corridor there. And I think it's I think it's kind of a deliberate choice to go, oh, it's he's kind of slightly out of his mind and it's not quite doesn't quite seem real, but it just doesn't quite translate as that. And it doesn't match well, yeah. a performance of someone who's going out of their minds either. Yeah. So maybe if it did, like maybe if the if Hamlet was if we believed that he yeah. was going out of his mind, maybe those things fit a little bit better and what he imagined was not what actually was like realized i don't know i do not like it or what it's trying to do but it struck me like this was just about achieving what it was trying to do 
like not not perfectly, but it seemed about ninety percent achieving what it was trying to do. I just didn't like what it was trying to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, that might be completely wrong, but my 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 take on it was like, oh, Kenneth Branagh's really had a vision for this film and brought it to life, and, mm. and I, I I don't know. It's I I quite liked how it was directed for the most part. I, I've made some more notes about how much the writing annoyed me, which is um... <laughs> I'm coming at it from the angle of I give I'm giving the Shakespeare the benefit of the doubt and saying that I don't think it achieves what the play asks and the question yeah. I don't think the questions that the play asks are in any way put to the audience or but and I I think that I have to say like in terms of the other performances I don't think. Uh, you could I don't think I think if you left Jacoby on his own in a room he'd do a brilliant performance of any Shakespeare maybe I'm wrong maybe he but he in the things I've seen him in on stage and the other things I've seen him in and um obviously in his seminal performance as the voice of uh in the night garden um, <laughs> which um yeah obviously I'm very familiar with nowadays um he yeah i think he he his claudius was always going to be fantastic because he's played hamlet he's played like he he'll have played most of the parts in that play for various different people he'll have watched it he'll have watched other people play it he was always going to give a brilliant performance so can you really credit branner maybe you can maybe he was a brilliant director maybe he does get the best out of people but i would argue that the people who did really well are the people who always do really well who really know what they're doing mm. briars has done a lot of shakespeare um, knows what he's saying, does a great performance. We we obviously I thought Winslet did a good job with um, in a sort of bad being after being put in a bad situation, um, and uh, it, with some sort of weird choices. But then Winslet is a fucking brilliant actress, and if he couldn't get um, a few really great scenes out of her, then what was he doing? Um, the people who hadn't been in them, we like, like one of us doesn't like their performance. (laughs) They do stand out. You like, so you Robin Williams just doesn't seem. uh, I I like Robin Williams, but it was just like a welcome respite from the film. Uh, (laughs) Right at the end there. Oh, thank God. Robin Williams is here. But the most jarring part of the film is when Ken Dodd appears in <laughs> Yes! <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Yorick. So weird. Can I, can I ask you about uh, another character, uh, Nikki, that uh, one of the most interesting characters for me is Polonius. And mm. I think in other versions I've seen, he's kind of a foolish old man. But here Richard yeah. Briers actually plays him like quite... Uh, you know, he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's playing at, even if he has to kind of know his place sometimes. Well, I think all those things are often sort of open to interpretation. What you quite often get with some performances of Shakespeare is that they do, they like take one line that's said about them and um, and then they do base their whole character on that. Whereas actually what's said about you is not necessarily your entire character or like mm. one line is not necessarily your entire character. Um I think when he dies. Oh, his face when he dies. That really. <laughs> well, I I, that... I, did, I wanted to talk about. I think my favorite part in the film, but 
I, I mean, I, I was, I was genuinely baffled. Like, I couldn't believe I'd just seen what I saw. But, I, I mean, correct me if I didn't understand what was happening properly. But if I'm correct, Polonius dies in this film, and I'm mm. guessing in Hamlet in general, because he, because he walks next to a curtain as. <laughs> Hamlet is stabbing wildly at a curtain. Yeah, he thinks it's someone else, but it's actually him. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets stabbed by mistake because there's a curtain in in a hilariously clumsy uh, sort of scramble. And then, uh, <laughs> just in case us, the audience, didn't realise that he was dead, he just says to the audience, he turns to camera and he goes, I'm slain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's again, yeah. that's from uh, the the writing, a lack of stage directions. You have to have the character say "I'm slain," otherwise the actors don't know that they've just died. Yeah, because yeah, so you I know, think that's it just a, says yeah. And so you get a lot of that in Shakespeare, and yeah, yeah. perhaps take it out. <laughs> but... Yeah, for sure. Like uh... on the writing, you know, I, I've been praising Shakespeare's metaphors and similes, but I did make a note of one near the start of this film where a character says, uh, uses the simile like a guilty thing. <laughs> Great. Is that is that clever descriptive language? I feel like the I feel like the thing is something that he does quite a lot. I don't know if it is that he didn't have an idea of what to put. Like he he was like like it was like a sort of where you put something in red so that you'll come back and edit it later. <laughs> and he just never got round to it. Or I actually quite like those where it's like it, it, I think again you like as a but for for me that's like a I would take that as a like like the the character like can't like yeah. can't come up with a uh like is so so passionate about something that they can't come up with a a better idea than that so i would make that like a like a guilty thing but like cuz what is a what is it that you would say there um it it reminded me of um i don't know if you're familiar with the writing of rl stein <laughs> uh, no. but it reminded me of the old goosebumps books which were particularly prone <laughs> to doing this thing where they would say, uh, you know, the door opened and creaked like a scene from a from a horror movie. Uh. And they'd always describe things as like being like a spooky film. And it's like, it was basically like you'd write, oh, you know, like some other metaphor I can't come up with. It- it's all like screenplay by... Kenneth Branagh. The unabridged version, what do you mean? I, what does I, that mean? I've made a note about this um, because not only did Kenneth Branagh have the absolute gall to <laughs> give himself a writing credit for the film, he was nominated <laughs> for Best Adapted no, Screenplay stop at it. that year's Academy Awards. Stop now, it. That, that is... I mean that's frankly offensive. Surely, <laughs> I I I appreciate yeah. Shakespeare doesn't do stage directions, and he's obviously written those in. <laughs> but that that is ultimately directing. That is blocking. Yeah. That's yeah. not writing and set design. And yeah, you're not like yeah. If you're <laughs> that's location it's... location sourcing is not a script yeah. writing credit. Like <laughs> um, let's. I'm going to put it in Blenheim Castle. So. Blenheim Palace, that's where it's going to be. Even um, if he trimmed it and abridged it, I think yeah. you could make an argument yeah. of giving him some kind of writing credit. But yeah. th- like this film is 
making a point of just being the original text. So yeah. it is absolutely... I, I think it's the most offensive writing credit <laughs> I've ever come across. Well, it's even <laughs> there's a, like so a screen than... at the end, isn't there, that's like a sort of folio-esque um, image in sort of Shakespearean writing that has yeah. literally says like um, that it's been... Um, adapted by Kenneth Branagh. I just, yeah, absolutely extraordinary. Because as you say, that is all he's done is he's directed it, which is what you'd expect. Yeah. There, there's a really annoying bit in Hamlet where, like, not content with making us watch a, a boring play, um, we then have to watch another play within the play, <laughs> which is also really boring. Yeah. Um, but but during this scene, uh, <laughs> I made I made a note of a joke that jumped out at me just because it was like, oh, I, you know, this is one of these people always go on about these clever gags, but like, I mean, I got that as <laughs> I heard it, and it didn't strike me as funny. Which is, um, lady, shall I lie in your lap? No, my lord. I mean, my head upon your lap. I, my lord. Or you think I meant country matters? Um, <laughs> he said cunt. And and the joke there is that cunt sounds like the first bit of country, isn't it? I mean, yeah. That, that's the yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it that <laughs> but that combined <laughs> with uh, use of the word cuckold at one point, uh, which sort of I mean that's taken on a bit of a different meaning in contemporary parlance. I mean not entirely, but different connotations. Uh-huh. Um, Basically, I, I, I've put together... I, I'm very awkwardly transitioning into a little quiz I've put together <laughs> um, where I basically searched for every category on Pornhub uh, within the works, the complete works of William Shakespeare to see how many come up. And it's a surprising amount. So as a little game, I think there's 30 of these in total. Can you guess any categories on Pornhub that were used as dialogue in a William Shakespeare play. <laughs> I've given you I've given you I've given you one just there, uh, cuckold. I'm gonna take that off the table. So it's categories of porn <laughs> that have appeared in Shakespeare plays or the word. Yeah. I got very bored when I was watching it, so you know. <laughs> um so, Cuckold, for example, has appeared 35 times throughout the works of Shakespeare, <laughs> such as that drop of blood that's calm proclaims me bastard, cries Cuckold to my father, brands the harlot, even here between chast unsmirched brows of my true mother, from Hamlet. <laughs> uh, incest would be one, I bet. Uh, incest, I, you know what, I don't think it appears, that word. Uh... Oh no! You know what it'll be is that I don't think incest is actually a category on Pornhub, Alan. I think oh, that's not the official. Problem here. It's right. just what I search for. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're talking main page category when you go searching. It's Pornhub in it. Um, yeah, uh, some of these are very very obvious. Some of them less so. Uh, uh, amateur. Uh, amateur. Surprisingly, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the porn categories. I did think that one would appear. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take some off the table again here, which okay. is um a whole load of them are nationalities. Oh, so okay. Rus- uh, Russian, for example, has nine appearances. Uh, German twenty two. Wait, Russian. French one hundred and seventy nine. Uh, apparently, yeah. <laughs> okay. Indian, Italian, Arab, British. The, these are all categories. 
Yeah, okay. Come on, Alan. <laughs> I know you know your stuff. Euro, that is another one. Euro. <laughs> uh, what would it be? Um, cock. <laughs> um, cock is not a category on Pornhub, Alan. Why come everything I come up with is not a category on Pornhub? <laughs> I'll give you some weird ones that I don't think you're going to guess. Okay, so we have, for example, Babe, weirdly is a category, and that has 63 appearances. Worthy many babes and beggars. Uh, That's a quote from Antony and Cleopatra, for example. Yeah, I hope it doesn't mean the same thing as it does in Shakespeare. Casting has three appearances. Casting their savageness aside, have done like offices of pity from A Winter's Tale, for example. That's also not used in the same way mm. um public oh, 51 right. private uh private no no feet has 57 <laughs> appearances uh facial uh no but you, you are thinking on the right lines there with facial <laughs> face there's two other f words that are similar that um appear surprisingly um, and and do bear in mind that I you know I just literally search the categories on the Shakespeare website. So anal, for example, has two appearances <laughs> because uh, there's a quote about the riot of the tipsy bacchanals in uh, <laughs> Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay, that doesn't count. <laughs> teen teen appears seventy three times because of numbers like sixteen. Oh, that doesn't count. Either. Uh, no. Oh, you're saying MILF doesn't count with 16 appearances. <laughs> it's with a mighty power landed at Milford, is called a tidings. Milford. Must be told. No. POV, 24 appearances. <laughs> I pay thy poverty and not thy will. From Romeo and Juliet. Oh dear. Um... There's some others that have taken on new meaning as well. College has four appearances. Okay. I tell thee what, Prince, a college of witcrackers, etc. Much ado about nothing. Uh, what about, uh, like, girl? Oh, no, was, but I mean... That's a bit too broad a category, isn't it, for porn? <laughs> no, but maybe maybe try the opposite. A woman. In what world is woman the opposite of girl? <laughs> <laughs> that says so much about your... <laughs> your approach to women. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, what, what I was getting at was gay, which has 13 appearances. Oh, is gay the opposite of girl? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was trying to get you to think of men from women, right. and that would hopefully lead you. Um, I mean, sort of along your lines there, Alan, mature has eight appearances. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Young? Have you said young? No. Oh, fuck's sake. That's not a category, I'm afraid. <laughs> Ebony has three appearances. Okay. Bondage, 22. Oh, yeah, fair enough, yeah. Uh, pissing. Has two appearances. Nice. <laughs> and here, sitting upon London Stone, I charge and command that of the city's cost, the pissing conduit run nothing but claret wine the first year of our reign. <laughs> Henry the Sixth, part two. Uh, toys. Toys. 16 appearances. <laughs> School has 65 appearances. That's one for you, Alan. Uh, party, 48. <laughs> Music, that's a weird category, has 220. That's a porn category. Apparently music is, yeah. Uh, uh, smoking has five appearances. Uh, fisting has two appearances. <laughs> to the choleric fisting of every rogue. Uh, 
etc. from Pericles. What about leather? No, <sighs> no, that's not a category. Rubber. No. <laughs> Did that exist back then? <laughs> uh, and fingering is the last. Fingering, Alan. Four appearances. Come on, tune if you can penetrate her with your fingering, so we'll try with tongue too. Uh-huh. So I think that did more or less mean the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. Bang on, yeah. yeah. That, that's from Cymbeline. Nice. And of course, Bukaki has 30 appearances. <laughs> that, that's not true, that last no, one. It's, it's, it's the name well. of a character. <laughs> 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 uh, okay. Well, anyway, that was that was a weird little uh, <laughs> sidebar. It's clear yeah. what you were doing to this to um, break up the chapters of yeah. <laughs> Hamlet there. Yeah. So can we? Well, you know how the the players come in, the theatrical troupe come in, and this was really where I started to hate Hamlet because first of all, he's going he's going about how depressed he is, and he's you know he's, he's grieving and he's just in a bad way, and you can't believe that. And then someone goes, oh, there's a theatre troupe coming up. And he's like, oh, yay, theatre troupe, yay. And he's like, his mood just turns on a die. And then and then he just goes straight into, um, it basically meets the actor and goes, oh, do that bit from that thing. And then he starts doing it. <laughs> and I just thought, what a knob. What yeah. a total tosser. He's that guy. Yeah, he's that guy. Or make me laugh. Later, he says, on, make me laugh to comedians. He's like, do that. He starts doing the he starts doing the dead parrot sketch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be great if that but was then, what that was. And then later on, it gets even worse because he's like uh, directing them <laughs> to how to do their play uh, and written new lines for them to put in. And he's like, oh, wait, don't do it too big. Don't do, don't move your arms about too much because it looks stupid, but don't do it too small either. That again is a bit of a failure in the performance because obviously the whole point of that is that he's he's doing it, to, and I think it just really misses what that whole build up is supposed to be, which is that he's he's trying to, um, and they really massively overdo the. Um, again, my uh, my husband had walked in at the moment that they were doing that bit, and he was like. As he said, he said to Horatio to watch him, and that is him, is it, with the um, <laughs> with, with the binoculars, binoculars behind the curtain. standing behind a curtain, and he was like, "That is insane," and that like, is it's insane. totally nice. Like, though. Horatio could be sat in the audience watching him. That's fine. <laughs> That's okay. He is being difficult. There's like a difficult sort of teenager element to Hamlet. Yeah. There's a difficult, which is why. It is. It is always a bit annoying when somebody does it when they're too old to it do it. It does feel like he should be younger because it feels like he's still kind of growing and, and learning. Exactly. And... Yeah, and he's really feeling. And I think you know, anytime anyone loses their father, is not going to be. It's it's awful. You know what? Right. It would actually be so much better and so much easier to take this if Hamlet was like seventeen, eighteen, or whatever. But like a young yeah, a young yeah. man because it would exp- it would go to help explain all his behavior and the kind of irrationality yeah. of it yeah. the kind of switching quickly switching moods and and you know yeah tr- um trying to get off with this girl but then being really nasty to her and yeah. or, or you know just being really jealous of his mother it, it, that would just makes so much more sense right I don't think I've yeah. ever seen a young person play it it's always someone in their 30s isn't it well I I um I did watch the Olivier version of this, which is probably the most famous film version of Hamlet mm. from 1948. 
uh, won Best Picture Oscar, in fact. And in in that, <laughs> obviously it's Olivier playing Hamlet. The woman playing Gertrude is ten years younger than him. <laughs> just, right. There's just Brilliant. no. <laughs> just it's just total bullshit. <laughs> no pretense. All like at least if you're going to play the character as thirty eight or whatever he was. Find yeah. an older woman to play the mother. Like, why hire a 30-year-old? But I think it would so much work. Yeah. Uh, bringing the petulance into it would make it work quite a lot. Definitely. And then you could definitely, definitely bring that to uh, at the end when he's gone away and come back and perhaps he's grown a little, but he's still got this vengeance in him. Uh, yeah. I think you could do a lot more with that. Because this... And just speaking of the um, Olivier version that I watched... The, there's an element in that which I much prefer to how they did it in this one, in that Gertrude, towards the end, when she drinks the wine, she knows, or at least strongly suspects, that it's poison, and she's kind of taking the bullet for her son, and, and it's right, kind of all about yeah. her own guilt of what she's done in mm-hmm. this. Whereas in this, she didn't know. I didn't get yeah. a sense that she knew at all. It was just like, oh, I'm having a drink. <laughs> Um, and I that really lacked something for me, uh, and it's only because I, perhaps I just had a direct comparison to the other one I just yeah. watched. It might not have jumped out at me otherwise. But I love that, that it gave her more purpose. Yeah. Just speaking of that end scene, then where we have the final confrontation between Hamlet and Laertes, where it's all been set up that Laertes's sword is poison, so it'll kill Hamlet, and then the Claudius has got the poison chalice and all that. They went really big with this ending uh, in in mm. Branagh's version. Like the end of the sword fight, like so it was like it goes full Errol Flynn, you know. He they yeah. they go sword fighting up the stairs, and then he comes down on the chandelier, and it just it felt too distracting. Like they went too far with it. Where I think it it should have been a real gentleman's fencing kind of thing. It needed to have that yeah. stillness, stiffness. Um, and tension but it's just distracting and, and and like the moment where he he goes Gertrude don't drink the wine like that should be such a tense moment and and like it's revealing and it should make Hamlet think what's going on here does he how much does Hamlet know how much does Gertrude know and it just felt like we were too busy doing a silly sword fight up on this up on the balcony so <clears throat> that's it really isn't it <laughs> I don't think we pulled that apart um so i mean should we what we usually do nikki is we'll rate it out of 10 if you'd like to join us in that um and give um, a little summation i guess i would i feel like uh, to be honest with you of all we've i think we've pulled apart a lot of the negatives here i i found it quite watchable i i, I think visually it's appealing and it didn't necessarily flow from scene to scene, but I felt like the scenes were very watchable, if you know what I mean. I did sort of watch it in chunks, but I didn't dread going back to it um, for whatever that's worth. But yeah, it does just feel like an exercise in putting down a play, but not not embracing it that it's a film. And also, as we've discussed, sort of just not really getting into some of the nuances that are there. I gave it a five out of ten. I I had a really really hard time putting a number on this one to be yeah. honest um because I don't know my my initial read on it was that it was pretty much exactly what it was trying to be um 
you know, I, if I were to meet the film at its own level, I, I, I think there would be a very solid case for giving it something like a 9 out of 10, honestly. But I, um, I also hated it. <laughs> and... and so I was prepared to give it a negative score just on the grounds that I kind of felt like if I don't give Shakespeare a bad score, no one else is going to. Um, this, Not in this, this discussion, case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this this discussion honestly has made me feel a lot more comfortable that maybe it isn't um, as great an adaptation as yeah. as I thought. So I I also give it a five out of ten, basically. Okay. But yeah, it was a, a tough one to figure out. Yeah. I have, I mean, I'm definitely not, I wouldn't give it a five. I'd say like three or four. <laughs> and only only for the other, only for some of the other performances, I think. Yeah. I I think right from the off for me, it, it being four hours long, like literally to just removes its accessibility. So if you were trying to make an accessible Hamlet which I know I've said but that is for me it's kind of the it does it such a disservice it does them all a disservice um I think the pacing's poor I think it is dated and I think that it's mad but it's kind of mad to say like it's not like we know more about Shakespeare 20 how long is it 25 years later um it's been around for a really long time like I kind of feel like people should have figured it out a bit earlier but it's not alive for me. I think it was a very... I did struggle to go back to it. I, having watched some of it, was like, I just really... But I think that the central performance for me is the thing that just, like, means I can't give it higher than a four. <laughs> I just can't, because it's called Hamlet, and everybody else is just in a different... Th- he directed it, and it just, for me, it's kind of unforgivable that yeah. he's cast himself. If he really loves Shakespeare, he should know better than to cast himself as someone he is totally unsuitable to play. Mm. Um, mm. And he should have... He should know... And for me, I guess, I don't know... I feel really bad doing it as well because much ado, as I say, is like was career changing for me, and um, like watching that as a young person, like was okay. Yeah, brutal, <laughs> brutal. I feel. I honestly feel bad. I honestly feel bad because I grew up thinking that he was he was it. Well, we thank you for putting yourself through it. <laughs> Just for no, it's yeah. been it's actually yeah. it's been great. It's been really great doing this. Like it's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed myself, and it was nice to pull it apart with other people as well. Because I I uh, <laughs> I was a bit worried that I you'd be like, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've destroyed a few classics in our time, so Good. Shakespeare can yeah. play play a part as well. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, thank you for joining us. Is there there anything you can plug while you're here? Anything you want to? Well, come and see one of the uh, the Fuller's shows. We might we we might be able to pull something off this year. We don't know. It kind of all depends. We're 
We still don't know. but Because what you do is open air, isn't it, essentially? We do. I have two theatre companies. We do free theatre, free adaptations of classics in libraries. And we do um, with open book theatre. And we're doing uh, some, like, if anyone out there has kids, we're doing challenges on our social media um, to keep kids occupied. But we also, yeah, do Shakespeare in pub gardens. That's kind of our thing we do a a four person um modern version which is totally bonkers and the characters have to be played by hat stands or yeah i've seen one of these because i went to see grace in romeo and juliet uh, last summer yeah so yeah i can recommend it it's lots of fun makes it very yeah, yeah it's very uh uh, what's the word? Approachable, I guess, as Shakespeare. Yeah, it's supposed to be. We want it to be accessible. We want accessible, it to be that's the word funny. I <laughs> yeah. Um, so we do. We put in a little bit of swearing. We put in a, but mostly it is the text, and it's a, again like something that I feel very passionate about. Is Romeo and Juliet is a is a much abused play. Is is there a like a website or? Yeah, social uh, media or something where people can see if you are going to be. Yes, we are um at we are open bar is our um Twitter and our and our Instagram is exactly the same. And we're on Facebook at just like forward slash open bar theater. But yeah, come and see a show. They're really good. <laughs> and we can change your mind about Shakespeare as we have lots of beer drinking um older <laughs> men in in the home counties <laughs> mostly we can turn you around i promise i promise okay very good all right that's it let's wrap it up there then uh thanks again nikki for coming in yeah no and thank you for nice. having me yes and we will be back next week with something completely different <laughs>